Jesus is the new and better Moses, a greater leader of the people of God, who didn't just deliver us from sin, but will usher us into the promised land, which is something that Moses could not do. This is the blessing of studying what we commonly call the Old Testament. Realistically, it's just the word of God. People have said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Lots of people say that the Bible is hard to understand, and there's some truth to that. Unless the Holy Spirit gives you the insight you need, the Bible is mostly words on a page. Pastor Daniel, as he teaches today, will show the links between the Old and New Testaments, and how, if you know where to look, God tells of the coming of the Messiah all over the place. You're going to hear about one of those parallels today with the story of Moses. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 1 as he begins his message, Hardship and Provision. Alright, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 1. Pastor Bill was giving me a hard time. He told me that he did the math and it would take me to 2050 to get through the Bible at the rate we're going. And I told Pastor Bill, you can't rush perfection, PB. (laughs) If the Lord tarries, we'll be here studying, amen? Amen. (laughs) The book of Exodus. The Hebrew name for the second book of your Bible, the second book of the Torah, the law, is actually the word Shemot, which comes from the very first two words in the Hebrew, and these are the names of. It's literally just two words in Hebrew. So that word Shem is the Hebrew word for name. So if you were talking to someone who's Jewish, who reads Hebrew, they wouldn't call it Exodus. They'd call it Shemot. But for us as English speakers, the name Exodus comes from the Latin. It has a Greek origin, but it came to us, the idea that Exodus means exit or departure. Now, I don't want to spend too much time doing lead-in because the chapter, chapter one of Exodus gives us a perfect link to the book of Genesis. But what I do want to say from the outset is that almost the entire book of Genesis points to Jesus. Literally the whole Bible, every page points to Jesus. But we're going to see the Passover lamb. And when they call Jesus the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, I remember growing up, going to Catholic church on occasion, I'd hear that, and I'd think to myself, what on earth does that mean? And then I remember when I was a senior in college, and I started reading the Bible on my own for the very first time, and I read the Passover narrative, and I thought to myself, oh, I get it now. I get it. How the blood of the lamb on the doorpost caused the angel of death to pass over. There it is. The blood of Jesus applied to your heart, my heart, anyone who would believe by faith. Although spiritual death awaits all of us by nature, we are given a new life. 
That's the gospel. And what's interesting is we're going to learn about Moses today, a baby born who will be the deliverer of his people from bondage. Jesus is the new and better Moses, a greater leader of the people of God, who didn't just deliver us from sin, but will usher us into the promised land, which is something that Moses could not do. This is the blessing of studying what we commonly call the Old Testament. Realistically, it's just the word of God. People have said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And the book of Exodus is going to show us that. So let's jump right on in. Exodus chapter 1, picking up in verse 1. If it's your first time jumping into a Bible, it's just the second book in there. So there's 50 chapters of the book of Genesis right as you open the book. Exodus is the next one. So Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, that's a great lead-in because we've already seen this, haven't we? If you finished out the book of Genesis, the whole series on brothers are about these men who we just read about. This list of names, we saw it in Genesis 46, the genealogy of Jacob. And so we are reminded again that Jacob and his sons ended up in Egypt. Seventy of them went. It's not by chance that that number is given. Because by the time the Exodus account happens, you're going to see how much God's blessing has been upon this people. But notice verse 6 and 7. And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. So we learn that Joseph and his brothers, the sons, the patriarchs of the family of Jacob, have all died. And then, verse 7, but the children of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. God had promised Abraham. He reminded that promise to Isaac and Jacob that he was going to have many descendants. And verse seven, there's these heaped upon adjectives and verbs. They grew, they multiplied exceedingly, they became exceedingly mighty. And so what this is, is it's trying to remind us that they came to Egypt with 70, but now God has blessed them. The family has grown very large, and that sets the stage for what's going to happen. So look at what happens in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh's supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians 
made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So now notice what happens. A new pharaoh arises, a new king, and he does not know Joseph. So this is somebody who did not know this great man, Joseph, who they changed his name and was used in a powerful way to save the Egyptian empire from that great famine. He didn't know who he was. And as he looked upon his ruling class, the people around, he noticed the children of Israel. And he thought to himself, "Uh uh-oh, we have a problem. We have these children in our land, the children of Israel, and they are more and mightier than we. He saw how they multiplied, and he thought to himself, we're in trouble, so let's oppress them. That's what he thought. Let's oppress them. Let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Because if they continue to multiply and something happens, they might go with our enemies, and then we're really in trouble. Now, you see this stage getting set, and that's why I call this study hardship and provision. Because we're seeing the beginnings of the hardship. Oftentimes, the blessings of God will bring hardship to us. That sounds strange, but it's really true. Oftentimes, the things that God blesses us with, it doesn't always come easy, does it? Oftentimes, there's resistance. God said he was going to bless and grow this people, but now the king is seeing it and saying, oh, this is not good. So he begins to put them under hard labor. Look at what happens in verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. So you notice that the Pharaoh's idea to deal shrewdly with them, to put taskmasters over them, it was beneficial for him. They were building supply cities for his empire. He set slave drivers, taskmasters over them. But look at verse 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. This is why God allows affliction, because it will make us grow more. That's not just a spiritual principle either. Now listen, I don't spend a lot of time at the gym, but I have friends who do. And The most basic study of how muscles are built is you work out, and what does it do? It tears the muscle, right? And then what happens is, and if I get this a little bit wrong, please forgive me. Science was not my forte. But you work it out really hard, right? And then the muscle tears, and then they send proteins, and the proteins build the muscles up. And after the tear, as the muscle gets built up, it gets built up stronger. This is what affliction does in the life of the people of God. Affliction should not defeat us, we realize that afflictions are a way that we grow. If we are willing to not look at the circumstances, but look at the God beyond the circumstances. And it's interesting that that growth from affliction is actually a choice that we make. In a congregation this size, in a room this size, with people watching online, a podcast or whatever, 
brother, sister, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's happening, listen. Allow God to grow you through it. Allow him to build you up, make you stronger. Because if you don't choose to let God build you up and make you stronger, it will make you bitter. And so you ask yourself, if affliction is going to happen, stronger, growth, fruitfulness, or bitterness? It's not a hard decision, is it? But in the moment when afflictions happen, it is a hard decision. Because oftentimes we're consumed by the circumstances. And we're not able to get our eyes on the Lord. But we have to realize that in this section of scripture, we see that God's going to use all of this. God's got a plan through all of this. And even though the king of Egypt afflicted the children of Israel, tried to keep them from multiplying, they still grew. Man could not stop what God was up to. No man can thwart the plans and purposes of God. In verse 13, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So that's a summary statement of how hard they were driven, how hard they were working over and over again. You have this idea of rigor, hard bondage, bitter. So this is a tough situation. There's hardship here. Now look at what happens. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was um, Shipra, and the name of the other was Pua. If you need girl names. I haven't met any Puas or Shipras, but these are good women. We're going to find out. Check this out. I'm always trying to point out those new names. If you want to name your sons Daniel, obviously we like that one too. Verse 16, and he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew mightily. So it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Now, the king's plan is not working. Driving them to hard labor is not accomplishing the ceasing of the multiplication of the children of Israel. So the Pharaoh has another idea. A brilliant idea in his mind. Infanticide. Killing the sons. Now, why killing the sons? They figured that they could intermarry with the daughters. But the sons would always propagate more Hebrew sons. So that's why he was doing it. He's thinking, I can stop them this way. So he goes and he talks to these two midwives. And it's interesting that their names, Shipra means beauty. 
Pua means splendor. Pretty names, right? Great names. Anyone having daughters? I actually talked to someone today who's having a daughter, so I'm going to have to pitch this one to him. But notice, he goes to these midwives, and in effect, he says to them, listen, as the Hebrew women are giving birth, if it's a male child, I want you to kill him. If it's a daughter, I want you to keep him alive. But notice in verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Now, they feared God more than they feared the king of Egypt. And brothers and sisters, we are called as Christians to honor the authorities over us up to the point where their laws go against the fear of the Lord. And at that point, civil disobedience is a virtue. Not violent civil disobedience. Not hateful civil disobedience. Not vindictive, nasty civil disobedience, but simply civilly disobeying. These women, they feared the Lord. They knew that the Lord loved life. The Lord loves life. All life. God loves life. From cover to cover in our Bible. Choose life, God says. This is why Christians should always promote life. Justice for the unborn. Justice for the elderly. We should always promote life because God loves life. God loves life. And these women will not listen. They will not listen. Human life is sacred. And the preservation of the lives of these babies takes priority over the edict of a very powerful and important person. And these women step out in faith. So what do they do? They don't do what they're asked to do. They do not dishonor God or themselves by taking life. So notice what happens. They saved the male children alive at the end of verse 17, verse 18. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew mightily. Now, what's up with the midwives? Probably, most likely, they're lying. And what's interesting is that we have a number of cases in the Bible where people lie and God blesses them because they lie to save someone's life. Now, is that situational ethics? Some might say it is. But you think about Rahab. I was just reading it this morning in my devotional time when they went into Jericho and she hid the two spies. She lied because they wanted to kill the spies of Israel. We know that Rahab ended up in the Messianic line and her family was saved. So brothers, I'll say this, be people of honesty at all times, except if someone unrighteously wants to take someone's life and then lie through your teeth like the best of them. Okay? And you're all thinking to yourself, I think I know how to do that, right? <laughs> we all know how to do that. It's true. The only time lying is condoned in the Bible is when it saves someone's life from somebody who is unrighteously trying to take a life. It's the only time you find it. So these women, they tell a little story. 
She said about the Hebrew women being more lively. They never showed up. They, they gave birth before the midwives got there. And, and notice, because they did that, verse 20, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. God took care of these midwives. And then in verse 22, so Pharaoh commanded all the people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So the Pharaoh wasn't content just talking to the midwives. He told everybody, we are going to expose the male children on the river Nile for death. We're going to save. So everybody knows now. And it's interesting how oftentimes when we're making decisions, the Pharaoh has been blessed by the labor of the children of Israel, and now he wants to kill all the men. It's illogical, isn't it? But hatred is always illogical. It always functions illogically. It doesn't work. We just think it works because we're angry. So he's got a self-defeating principle, but he's telling everyone, we're going to expose the children. Now, this sets the stage. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. And that name Moses literally means drawn out. Now, this is pretty cool, isn't it? Because in the midst of this, they're starting to expose their children. And the focus now goes down to the tribe of Levi. Notice, a man from the house of Levi took a wife of the daughter of Levi. And so this is pointing us to the reality that Moses will be of the priestly tribe of Levi. And we'll get more to that as we go further along in the book of Exodus. Jesus is It's interesting that it seems that the children of Israel weren't aware of the potential power that they had just because of the number of their people that were in Egypt. But they didn't. And Pastor Daniel taught about their enslavement by a king who didn't know about Joseph's significance in Egyptian history. You also heard about the courage of a couple of midwives and their obedience to God, even when they had to lie to stay faithful to God's principles. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person 
We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue with his teaching, Hardship and Provision. You're going to hear about the trials and travails of the Hebrew people. Pastor Daniel will show the parallels between the slavery of the Jews in Egypt and our slavery to sin. You're also going to hear about the similarity of Moses and Jesus in the tasks that God put them on earth to do. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Passover next time. Until then, may God bless.